0: Louder!
1: everybody and welcome back to hypodermic the pod that sticks you deep i'm the pod boss tj bowser and Johnny me as always is the man himself <laughs> the maestro of mayhem the dawn of disaster mr
2: nick benson buddy we are back it's about time right yes it's been it's been a minute you you had to move i had some technical stuff i had to work out i think uh i think we got it figured out <laughs> yeah, but we are back. We are better than ever. We have some sponsorship
1: stuff that's coming up, and we're excited to share that with you very, very soon. We've got some conventions coming up, but more importantly, this week's episode, and we have a special guest. Nick, I will let you introduce him. <laughs> Go for it, buddy.
2: So this gentleman, um, I met him, believe it or not, during the pandemic, and uh, we we did a, what what was called Virtual Con, I think is how we met. Um it was a, a British convention that was done virtually, and uh, John and I were both guests. And uh, I attended his, his Q&A, and I believe he attended mine. And, and we just really enjoyed um, talking to each other since. And uh, fellow musician, uh, really, really good actor. I, I, I just love this guy. So, I you know, without further ado, John Tague, everybody.
3: Wow. Thank you for that. That was awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> This is high tech. You guys got a nice little setup going. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> we tried. <laughs>
2: so, John. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of did the brief intro of how we met and all, but uh, you know, um, this is this is really about what makes you you. How did you get here? Like, I know, like I know everything up until, uh, at least from the point where you made your film, right? On, and we'll get to that, but I want to okay. start with with uh what led you down this path like did you start a musician did you start an actor did you how did you decide what inspired you those kinds of things
3: well what had happened was i was uh, a terrible terrible student in uh, school i was horrible and the only thing that i could really you know excel at were the arts um i was i was good at drawing yeah. And a lot of uh, my neighborhood friends, like I, I had a big like kind of neighborhood friend group, like, you know, we were very feral, very, you know, running around the woods, shooting bottle rockets at each other and bows yeah. and arrows. And, and then we're like, when we're like got bored with that, we decided, well, let's start a band. So I ended up being the bass player in this little band that, that the neighborhood kind of threw together and I really got into it. And it was something that I really connected to and really enjoyed doing and you know since I was such a crap student i didn't i didn't pay any attention to anything else really except for music and then when it came time uh you know to kind of start figuring out what to do with my life um i i wanted to go into music and and be in a band um and i was in a couple of high school bands and then i landed in this one high school band that um that actually did pretty well uh, for for a little while. Um, but it wasn't really my style of music so much. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't really my style. It was a Grateful Dead cover band, and i was I was a you know more of a kind of new wave kind of alternative bass player. Um, right. but the fun thing about being in that band was when i was you know 17 years old i was playing in clubs in new york city i was you know going touring all up and down new jersey playing shows and and uh and that's kind of how i started kind of getting into being in the arts and 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 being an artist um and then what happened after that oh and then i would some by some miraculous thing i i got into college um I guess, you know, like I was put on this kind of like probationary thing that if I got a certain grade point average, I could stay at school, but I had to do it within the first semester. If my grades dip below 2.0, you know, I'm out. Right. Um, and it was there that I got introduced to theater and that's where I saw, um, uh, you know like the my first the first play like the first like real like drama that i've ever really seen done on a stage and they asked me to to run the audio for it because they didn't have an audio guy and uh i was like oh wow this is really cool and this is also where all the you know the cute girls are um <laughs> and yeah I, I just kind of fell in love with it and then uh next thing i knew i started auditioning for the plays and getting cast and lead roles and and then summertime would come around and I'd go back and do the band again and then go back to college, go back, do the band, go back, you know, back and forth for like, that was spanned over like a five year period. And then I decided that I probably would be better suited as an actor than being in a band because the band at that point was fried. We were burned out. We were playing the same crap for five years. Sure, and and I just
2: nothing, you know, nothing new, nothing inspiring, kind of thing.
3: No, I mean it was just we, you know, we had we like had gigs booked ahead of time, like you know, like okay, we're going to do this next summer, and we're, okay, I guess we're roped in to do that, mm-hmm. and you know, so it, I mean, it was it was cool, and when you're a kid, you know, it's fun, but that, but you know, when it becomes like, oh, this is kind of jobby job, you know, it's <laughs> kind of like like well, lugging, think, ar- lugging around think- my lugging around that bass rig, that big PV, I got a big PV Centurion, you know, uh, Mark III from 1986 on the big Black Widow cabinet.
2: Fuck oh, yeah. You're <laughs> preaching to the choir. I got an Ampeg SVT. The thing's huge. Massive. Yeah, man. I mean, after a while, he's just like, God,
3: I can't, I can't lug this crap around oh. anymore. Now I have a nice, I have a nice um, Sansamp uh DI that's, Nice. I'm never. I'm never playing through an app ever that's again. That's all you think. need anymore.
0: <laughs>
3: yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's how I kind of got into being an actor. It was kind of by accident because I, I got involved in the theater at um, at college. Now with the High Point University, and they had a really good
2: theater program. That's super cool. Um, yeah. What, um, what What university was it? Mind me asking. High ask Point you. High Point University. And uh-huh. it's it's
3: down in North Carolina. And it was a small liberal arts school when I was there. This is like, I graduated high school in 88. Uh, and then I graduated from college in 92. Yeah. Um, and at the time, the school was going through lots of changes. It was like a really small liberal arts school. And then all this money came like, you know, pumping into it. And then they started sure. building all this stuff. And of course, all the cool stuff was built after I left. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like the brand, like the brand new facilities for the arts department. Wow, you know, you're, the
2: you're, you, only graduated a couple years after I did, so like yeah. I, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it was funny. Like
3: when I went to college, I wanted to be a music engineer. I thought, well, maybe I could study music engineering at school. Yep, and that's they, had a, they had a they had a program, but it uh, well, by the time I
2: got there, they they cut it. Yeah. Yeah, so I, was there, really. to, I was supposed to go to full sale and and uh, well, oh, yeah, yeah, hauling into the effects. It's just crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy. And you money. know what? And you know, uh, maybe you're like me. I
3: remember when I was in college. I used to have the pamphlets to Musician's Institute. Did you ever remember that? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to like I used to sit in my, dr- my 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 dorm looking at the pamphlets, going, "Oh man, yeah, I'm gonna go ha- I want to go. I want to go hang out on Sunset Boulevard." <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Of course, and that's where I yeah. was. when You were doing that, so
3: <laughs> right, yeah. You had you were living the dream, <laughs> yeah. And then I got mixed up in making movies and stuff. I moved to New York out of college, and that's and then I got involved in uh, the New York theater scene. And then I did a, a bunch of independent stuff, lots of commercials, lots of uh, lots of voiceover work, lots of um, like weird little industrial films, you know, where you'd have to like training yeah. films and things like that. Yeah. But that was a great way to learn how to how to you know work in front of a camera, um, sure. And and that's kind of how I learned. I learned I, I learned film acting on the job. I never I've never taken a, a film acting class. It's always just well. Different. I
2: think I think New York is really a good market for that. Like there's so much going on there all the time. Now there is. Back in the
3: '90s, there really wasn't a whole lot right. happening. Yeah, they only had a couple of shows that were on air at the time, and then. Um, like they had Cosby, and they had all the soap operas and all that. And I think they had Law and Order when I was there, um, but everything else was being shot in L.A. Right, and that's and like I I lived in in New York until mm, well I moved out here in two thousand and one in Los Angeles. So I was in New York. I was in New York for almost ten years, and it it was a struggle. Lots of independent stuff though, but but as far as like you know like network TV shows, none of them were there. weren't a lot at the time
2: and so your college your college and your you're moving to new york and all of that sort of led you to decide to create your own film or is that is that kind of what brought you to that well what happened was when i came out to los angeles
3: i didn't have um like the the experience that i had in new york like the the footage that i had from a lot of the projects and stuff was good and and i was able to get an agent pretty quick when i moved out to l.a right but then um shortage of agents (laughs) right yeah but then then uh there was a big strike right and that kind of shut things down for a long time and then when i got back into it when i got back into it i was uh um it it was hard for people to find a place to put me they didn't they thought they thought oh he's too young to do this but he's too old to do that and i got put in that kind of weird box Oh. For a long time, and I and then I decided that's it. I'm I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna quit. I don't want to do it anymore. You know, if I'm not gonna be seen for the things that I want to do, and, right. And then I started a band again, which was you know probably not the smartest thing to do. And and I also had you know my my wife. You know, we had a daughter at the same exact time. My wife opened up our yoga studio, which is where I am right now. And um, we had a kid, and I started an electro. EDM rock and roll band, right, in Los Angeles, and the timing was terrible. But it was a good time. I mean, we had fun. The band was cool, and we had a lot of fun. And we did some fun stuff, right? Um, but then, when when the kid was about five years old, and I had a couple of years behind me, I felt like getting back into acting. The band broke up, and. And, uh, I didn't know what to do. Five years had gone by. I didn't have any like proper footage anymore. Um, you know, right. uh, my stuff was really, really dated. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, this is my opportunity to create a vehicle for my, for myself and have people see me the way that I want to be seen. So I cast myself in the lead role of this kind of uh, low budget CIA spy thriller. Um, that me and a bunch of uh actors uh that i know um and other filmmakers uh cranked out over a year and then i spent another year trying to learn how to do all the post-production on it and then i finally
2: ahead, put it ahead, out go ahead and tell everybody the title yeah. just because i want people to ac- access that i think it's a good film i really enjoy right,
3: it. it i appreciate it it's called the rolling soldier yeah and it's a digital web series um and you can find it on tubi you can find it on uh youtube yeah um yeah i'll give you the link so you i don't know if you have show notes i can always just put it in your link. absolutely
1: Uh, i did a little bit of research and you won a couple of awards for that too right
3: yeah yeah yeah. what's funny about the whole thing was you know i only wanted to shoot a pilot because i I just needed footage i I didn't want to I didn't want to create ah. this theory. And then what happened was I showed the pilot to some people and they were like, this is great. What happens next? And I'm like,
0: oh, I don't know,
3: man. You know, then I had to like, I had to develop this whole thing. And, and which was great and a lot of fun. And I got to, you know, not only I acted, directed, produced, I wrote all the music. I did all the post-production on it. Um, the only thing I didn't do was hold the camera. The guy who did the camera work, Sergio Crago is a great guy. We also had, um, uh, um oh god. Um Joya Speciale do uh um the pilot. She was the, the camera operator for the pilot. They they did a great job. She's an Emmy winner for um uh the show uh intervention. She mm-hmm. was is one of the camera people that's in the rooms with those people on that intervention show. So she's hardcore. Wow. So yeah, and and then it went around the world and won and won awards. Uh, We won um, best uh, thriller in Vancouver. We won best drama in New York. Mm -hmm. We won um, uh, best drama in Austin. Um, I won an award at the uh, New Jersey uh, Web Series for Best Actor um and yeah it was dominated did really well all over and and the web series world is a really cool little world i don't know if you guys have ever experienced those those events um and and met any of those filmmakers but there's some really creative really cool things going on in the web series world
2: absolutely yeah so um tell me a little bit after after that after that period and getting all around that was was that close to when you wrote uh dark road
3: the Dark Road Um that was a project that um I created with Carly Street and uh we we had this idea about a time traveling um a guy who time travels and he's a gangster and he gets he gets thrown into the future and gets wrapped up in, in, in all kinds of stuff and and uh it was a great concept. I think, I think it was a cool idea. Um, We tried to shoot um, a short film of it um, so I could cut together a trailer to try to pitch it. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of ran out of steam and then COVID hit us. And that just kind of, COVID just really put the the kibosh on it, to be honest. And, and, uh, you know, people start to lose interest and, and then, you know,
2: I know how it goes. <laughs> you know, I mean it's it, it, it,
3: and you know what, I'll be honest about it. It was um it made uh it, it really kind of hit me kind of hard because I hadn't really felt like that kind of um defeat, I think. Right. Yet. And it was like I felt really good about this one and and it just didn't happen and I was like, "Oh my god." So Yeah. I was a little bit surprised that there was a little bit of a um, I, I couldn't get it off the ground. I wanted. I, I tried really hard, and I, I just, you know, sometimes you just can't do it.
2: Uh, but, I, I don't know about you know. that. I, th- I think sometimes that these, you know, the timing's just wrong, and you just got to push it another time.
3: Well, yeah. I, I mean, I don't. It's not dead yet. I mean, I, I'd still like to be able to kind of, you know, resuscitate it with the right, with the, you know, with the right people. Um, Nick. That well,
2: we'll like... have to talk about that offline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so yeah, we can talk about. I have a couple things I want to talk to you about, actually. Cool. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I tried. I tried to, to make a show and sell it, and, and you know, tried to ride out that you know the good luck that I had on my previous project, and it just didn't didn't really pan out. We tried to make it a horror kind of genre, you know, time travel thing. Sure. And it had some killer horror elements to it, and we just couldn't make it happen. It's just it's just one of those things. No. now you never know yeah well it's not dead like <laughs> i said it's, kind of, it's on, it's on hiatus in developmental hell you know
2: yeah so tell me a little bit about your time on general hospital that was the new one for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's funny
3: i i um i get cast on the soaps every once in a while and you know most i i think like maybe i'm different but i there i think there's a lot of actors that uh that don't want to do soap opera work, but um, right. I I enjoy it because it's it's live basically. It's kind of like you get one take usually, yeah, and it moves so fast and it's so funny and and like you know it, the world that you ha- you can't help but but start to fall into that that soap acting right. kind of thing because if you try to do anything else outside of that, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know what i mean like you can't go in there like daniel day lewis and be all methody on a soap set it's just tug <laughs> no. of work you know no
2: i'm sure um, it keeps you on your toes for sure
3: oh totally yeah because a lot of times what happens is they'll switch the uh the script up on uh so actors like five oh, minutes yeah. before they go on they'll give them like all new pages yeah. and and that's why sometimes the language the the dialogue is a little clunky on those shows but you know all they're right. fun they're fun shows i mean they're guilty pleasures, you know, and, and it's, and the people that work on those shows, you know, there's a reason they stay on for a long time. It's because those shows, those people, it, they're good to work on. You know, those, those soap opera crews are great guys and they've been working there forever and it's, it's a, it's always a good experience. Right. But General Hospital is, is one that I, that I've been doing recently. I've done.
2: Oh, okay. I've done three episodes of General Hospital now. Right on. Yeah interesting stuff I'm, I'm sure it really yeah no one they, they still do it live is is kind of wild because that's well that it's not really...
3: it's not live live i mean what they're doing is they're they'll, they're shooting so many setups during the right. day that literally you're going from one scene to the next to the next to the next yeah it's yeah, almost yeah. like don't...
1: live to tape type thing
3: yeah right, exactly yeah. it's live to tape yeah so yeah <laughs> i mean if it was live live I, I would be watching soap opera every <laughs> single day. Yeah, they're they're slamming these together
0: for
2: sure. It would be amazing. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. almost it's almost as fast paced as like a news environment, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, if things you know can turn on a dime and and um, or get out. I cut know about that now.
2: Just, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's actually, right, You know all about that now, don't you?
1: I, yes, I just recently started my job in TV, so. <laughs> mm. Very good. Yeah. TV is unpredictable.
2: Very much so. So let's um let's go back a little bit. Uh, sure. now, now that we got the the general hospital question out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. I didn't lose respect for you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> okay. All right. You're, you're an awesome actor. I think I will fight. I, I will fight awesome for soap you, actors. I think it's awesome that you did that. I've worked with soap actors through through my yeah. career and they've, you know, in film and yeah. they They, it's it's very different when they're on a film versus on the television. It's it's a totally different environment. Yeah, hundred percent. Anyhow, let's um let's go back and talk about like Lucifer and American Horror Story. Okay, cool. Tell us a little bit about that that experience.
3: Well, uh, let's see. Uh, Well, I guess we'll start with Lucifer because that came um, before American Horror Story. Uh, yeah, you know, I was I I got the audition for this part. It was a guest star, but um, it, it you know sometimes these roles don't have names, so you get like you know grizzled cop number cop, one, or <laughs> cop. Number, they called me yeah. grizzled cop, you know, and which yeah. I thought was was pretty good, um, and so. <laughs> I went down, and, and this was back when you know we went to auditions and casting directors' offices. Now it's not like that at all. Yeah, it's all virtual. Putting,
0: yeah, it's weird. Yeah,
3: we're all ourselves in self tape, we're doing like Zoom callbacks and that kind of thing. And it's that's another like thing that you know we could talk about, but um. Yeah, so Lucifer, I go in and uh, I felt like I connected to the to the material really well. I mean, he—I I like playing kind of reluctant hero guys. I like playing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, scrappy kind of characters, and I, I, I thought this was a fun character to to do. Um, and uh, so I go in, <laughs> I audition for it, and I go full out, you know, and I I, I must have dropped a line or something because I remember that I. Uh, I wasn't happy about, about the audition at all. She was like, okay, that was great. Yeah. We'll see you. Thanks for coming in. And I walked out the door I grabbed my, my bag. I walked out the door, I go around the corner and this was on the Warner brothers lot. So, you know, I, I, I was so angry, but I didn't want anybody to see how pissed off I was. I went around the corner and I kicked the wall really, really hard.
0: <laughs>
3: and, <laughs> so nobody could see me. And then I just kind of, I just kind of was like slunk away and and got in my car and drove home and i was about halfway home and they called me and booked me on the gig wow yeah, yeah. That was, and that was like a really fast turnaround too so i was like, holy shit. i'm like yeah yeah i'll take it fun. and then um what happened with that was we went down there we we uh you know i go down i do the table read with the with the cast and the crew which was fantastic i mean um, they're all there. They all show up for their writers. So you've got you know Tom Ellis and you've got uh, Lauren German and mm-hmm. uh, uh, oh, what's her name? Um, you know who else was there? The uh, the really beautiful um, blonde uh, Cylon from Battlestar Galactica. What's her name again? Mm. You know what I'm talking about? You got me. You know TJ.
1: I'm sorry. I'm a Star Trek, Star Wars guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah,
3: I'm sure you've seen the posters of, of the, yeah. the Cylon. Yes. Yeah. She's in the show. I can't remember her name right now. It's really bothering me. But um, uh, so she was there at the read through and, and, you know, great cast, great crew, got to shoot it, had a lot of fun with, you know, a lot of pyrotechnics on stage, on on, on the set and walked away from it feeling great. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. You know, this will look good. People, hopefully it'll kind of open up a couple doors for me. Then Fox decides to cancel Lucifer flat out Mm. um, and not air my episode and i got (laughs) and i got super pissed off and as did other like fans of the show and what was funny was i wasn't really a fan of the show yet i you know only watched some of the show as material to prepare for the audition yep but then i went back and kind of you know caught up on things up to that point i was like oh this is a really fun show um and so i go on twitter you know to bitch about the show getting canceled and of course like <laughs> it, and, and, of, and of course like the whole the whole like twitter verse is is exploding about you know lucifer and then this hashtag save lucifer it starts trending and it's like it's <laughs> that's the most
0: the best. Insane, awesome <laughs>
3: it's the most insane thing ever and so i kind of jumped on and i told everyone i'm like hey guys you know this is John Tag, I uh, just did an episode of the show, and I'm bummed out that it's not going to get shown. If there's anything I can do to help you guys spread the word to try to get the show saved, let me know. Right. And uh, you know, didn't really think much about it. Woke up the next day with like four thousand new followers <laughs> and like a, like a bazillion messages and stuff. And I was like, oh my god, it was like so overwhelming, but like so, uh, it was so kind of like it was great because. It made me realize how powerful a fandom can be, oh, yeah. Sure. And just how nice people are in general. You know what I mean? There's some wacky people out there, too. but but in general, like fandoms, like people that come together over something that they love, they're generally nice people. Absolutely. And that's that's kind of what I got to experience with that fandom. And then they they did this whole campaign to, you know, Save the show, and I helped jump on there and, and got some attention going, you know, for it. And then uh, they they nominated me um, for uh, guest best guest star on the East Scoop uh, Daily Awards or some, oh, wow. something. So I was up against like Neil Gaiman and uh, um, uh, the guy who wrote Hamilton, uh, your man. Let's I can't remember his name. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? So, uh, so I got nominated with those guys, and uh, I lost to Neil Gaiman, but you know, uh, I'll take that at l Yeah, that's but all.
2: Right. They did this.
3: They did this whole thing for me to try to get me back on the show too. And so it was. It's was just such a nice group of people that that are behind that whole Lucifer fan base. Yeah, and, was... uh, they've, and they've been really good to me over the years. So it's been really nice.
2: Uh, that's awesome.
1: Is that a yeah. Netflix thing though
3: yeah it's on netflix now they're they're not shooting any more episodes right now it, it's finished um but oh, okay. never know. They, they might bring it back someday for some well time.
1: they're not shooting anything in general right now but that's for a good reason oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah it's about to get uh about to get rough i'm lucky i i have a gig that i'm going off to atlanta to do um uh next over memorial day weekend over the over the long weekend um going out to shoot something in atlanta Right, um, and then after that, it's like I don't know, man. I don't know what's going to happen because you know SAG is going to go on strike mm-hmm. if they get the votes,
2: yep. and
3: with SAG and the writers on strike, I mean
2: that's pretty much that's it. Going to make it impossible to make anything. Yep, and it already yeah. is isn't that easy right now anyway.
1: The reality yeah. revolution's and, upon us again, and just so <laughs> like with with and look, you know, like you know, in general, like the
3: climate right now is weird like worldwide with you know uh like yeah making anything right now is really really tough i think yep. like on a, on a large scale you know yeah so sure. I, I wish i wish it wasn't that way and i wish i hope the unions um i hope they can stick together and figure it out because this ai stuff is really really crazy and
1: ai right. and i think just streaming in general and i think that's kind of like a repeating topic on this podcast is just the, the way that it, streaming in general has affected the entertainment industry whether that be yep. music film yep. television and we can see that here with the wga writer strike right now and like you said mm-hmm. sag's going to join in on it it yep. just streaming has changed the game and changed how everybody's getting paid and it's it's yep. something that sadly society or hollywood or tv hasn't changed with the times to account for that you know it's it sucks cuz you're seeing all these creative yeah. struggle because they're not getting paid their dues in a time where it's easy to click play it's the easiest right. and it's the most accessible time to access content but people are getting paid the least amount for it it's insane to right. think about
3: exactly the studios are making such huge profits i mean it's outrageous yeah it really really is and and you know you know the writers deserve everything that they should get absolutely yep. absolutely and um <clears throat> and you know like actors like me you know who kind of every once in a while depend on a residual check yeah we're getting completely screwed yes so um unless they figure it out because i mean look i get like residual checks for like here's your two dollar residual check for an episode of csi i did you know? <laughs> or like they're <laughs> like a 15 cent thing for like i don't even know what it was you know they they need to straighten it out the, the streaming thing is just it's. I mean, it's great for content creators, and it's yes. great, you know, for that. And and I love the fact that there's so much work now, and there's so much, you know, variety and things to choose from. Well, for the most part, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's like, come on, man! You know, you, you're 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 making so much money. Yeah. You got you got to take care of people, or else. Yeah, I, I, was gonna, I was just I
2: was just going to say. I mean, technologically. It's it's actually better technologically because they can track every single stream. They can you know they can actually create the demographics from that yeah. data. They can extract that for advertising. Like there's so much more yeah. there to make money, but they're not paying the fucking creatives, and that's annoying. Well, use the AI to track all that shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it just pisses me off. Yeah, it's not it's not okay because all of the all of the actors, all the creatives, all the writers keeping that stuff out there are getting screwed. Right, and it's but like,
1: not fair. But like you said, as we it should be AI assisted, not AI created. Absolutely. Exactly. Look, yeah, I think it's I think it's
3: look, I'm guilty of using AI. I use it all the time. I'm uh-huh. I'm constantly like trying to learn how to do stuff, and like so, AI is a great tool for that. Um and i think that you know with artists especially like you know you know visual artists mm-hmm. i'm really worried about those guys yep um like color you know colorists and and it's going to be it's oh, going to yeah. change every it's changing color, every it affects
0: people it affects everyone yeah. they
3: really yeah good. i mean i mean i, I I do get it, because a, a good buddy of mine, he's he used to be one of the head animators over at Disney, and he was telling me, he's like, you know, I think people are looking at it in the wrong way. I'm like, well, what what way should we be looking at it? And he's like, well, people need to look at it like, you know, like the printing press or like the invention of the pencil. You know, it's like, it's just another tool that we're going to have to learn how to use. And I was like, that's really, you know, I think that's, that's true, but there's people that are unscrupulous. You don't give a shit. Yep.
2: Yeah. Absolutely, it has to be used in the right way, and and there is it's going to be so easy to go around things for a while, kind of like kind of like the advent of CG, like it was used very heavily as a producer's tool, as right. you know. But, like, but in the early
3: days, not, nobody really liked it, you know, yeah. and it wasn't until later on when it kind of got really like when I guess Star Wars when they did the prequels, when it was like oh shit, or like yeah. Jurassic Park and all that, you know.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and 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 we you know a lot of artists thought they were going to be replaced much like with AI now and and it's it's all about how it gets used. I'm sure it has a a space that it needs to fall into. It's the navigating to that that scares me. Because yes. I think it's going to be viewed as something that will replace a bunch of people that are a huge cost and then they just make more profits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and but, then, but you know, it's, well, let me
3: ask you this, Nick. I, you know, I've I've noticed over, like a trend over the last couple of years that more and more, you know, big films are using practical effects. Um,
1: that is a trend, not, very but, much so.
3: Is is that is that still happening, or is it yes. just not?
2: Yes, further? it is, and I believe honestly, it's audience driven because. Yeah. I feel like if the audience hadn't have kind of screamed about, Hey, where's the practical stuff you're, you're using all CG, that they would have continued to do so. Hell Nick, uh, but, you just did a
1: bunch of practical stuff, didn't you? Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And I would say, I would say that, you know, it's safe to say that like, there is, you know, I've said this for years, uh, you know, the right mix, is both working yes. together, and it works. Absolutely. Yeah, you it just it said Jurassic well. Park. That's a good example. Yeah, Jurassic Park, Park has always been my go-to for that because it was a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was the first film that really got it right? Yeah. I Yeah, I do. I really do. And I think that is an example because even today you watch that movie, it still holds up. It's, oh, it's yeah. an amazing film to watch. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's definitely going to be with AI, there's going to be a navigating through the path. And I'm just afraid of how many years it might take, just like CG, before they figure out, oh, well, we shouldn't have done this.
1: Well, right now, there's a vague we don't. Get political on this show but there's a big push in politics right now to kind of get some legislative around it because i believe the yep. creator of the main ai that's used in all the big corporations right now is very afraid at the rate that it's growing and the yes. rate that it's learning that we're almost finding ourselves in like a skynet situation
2: absolutely yeah
1: where it's getting too too big too quickly because so many corporations are integrating it into their software and yep. most of these corporations are social media and what's the biggest growing market right now Social media, Social media. <laughs> so it's just crushing everything right now. And like you know, guys, you guys are talking like once it starts getting into the entertainment business, it's game over for a lot of these. Sorry, it's, it's
3: already there. It's yeah. already it's it's already here. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're I, just we're I'll just now, what, Like,
2: I, I haven't had a conversation in the last two months that hasn't uh, had that in there. Yeah. Chat, chat GPT. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a whole AI platform that everyone seems to be using for just about everything now.
1: And to refer to one of our earlier episodes to kind of follow up on what we had Kurt on, uh, something that he brings up about uh, Kurt Shirelli is uh, the fact that AI uses existing art on the internet and kind of steals from artists. And that's just absurd as well. Yeah. Uh,
3: Yeah. Um, But I think there's also, you know, there's some AI that is generating original art, but
1: uh
2: It's got a reference. Yeah. I mean, it's got a reference something. other things. Yeah. (coughs) The database is is the internet and anything that's public gets, gets taken from.
1: And here's a question for writers out there. Let's say you write a very detailed synopsis for a story and then you put that into a AI and say, Hey, can you trans? Can you translate this into like a script format for me? You know what I mean? does yes. um, does the ai then own that or do you own that story
2: because yeah well that's it where depends. it gets very gray
1: area yes yeah i think it depends
3: it, it can like i think a lot of writers are going to use it as a tool like okay give me you know like a one sheet on you know a, a rundown you know mm-hmm. quick pitch you know like that kind of thing um but when they start asking it to write dialogue and things like that yeah that's where yeah. we're in, tr- yeah. in trouble yeah
2: you know but yeah, it's it is a little scary but, but it's yeah, it's I not don't i don't see it as really being a whole lot different than this than the cg avenue it's just a much bigger scarier monster because we
1: have to learn and adapt
2: yeah it teaches yeah. itself and we don't know how big it can get so like you know yeah. we have to be careful what we do with it yeah just
3: be nice to it always be nice to the chat <laughs> gpt openai <laughs> Which just always don't get on its bad side
1: you will be spared what so we Like,
2: so like telling today. your Alexa, to "Go like, fuck itself," kind of thing. Right,
3: it's for a bad night. Right. It's, it's like angering the new gods. You know, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to anger. Well, like you're gonna start like outside of like volcanoes and shit. You
2: know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, it's scary business. If you really think about it.
2: Yeah, it, it it is a little scary, but I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. I just hope that mm-hmm. we kind of get let's regulate little, it. Yeah, le, uh, yeah. This guy, well,
3: yeah, got to get regulated for sure. Like yeah. somebody's got to have their finger on the switch and be like, okay, you know, yeah. that's enough. It's
1: a machine. That's there true. should be an off switch <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hey, let's <just> unplug it.
2: <laughs> just unplug it. Yeah. Yeah classic
3: yeah man yeah so yesterday i went to the uh to the cruel world festival yeah out in pasadena i heard uh,
2: i heard it got shut down because lightning it it, (laughs) it did it was i was walking i
3: went with my daughter and we were walking there's many many stages so yeah of course you know i had the bands i want to see are all on the complete opposite sides of sure of the of the of the map, so you know we went. And I wanted to see a little bit of uh, human league, yeah. And then you know we ran over to go check, you know, to, to catch Iggy. And as soon as we got there, they shut they it. Shut down. Shut it down. Yep. And uh, but up to that point, like the whole day was really really great. There was a lot of great bands. We saw uh, uh, Berlin. Terry Nunn. She looked
2: amazing. Yep. Uh, yep. Who, She's who doing else? great these days. Oh, my God. The like, band, you know, band sounds really great. They're, yeah, the I mean, band I sounded here. awesome. Yeah, yeah, I saw Berlin here.
3: They were, uh, they were really good. Um, who else? Uh, after that, it was uh, Modern English, uh-huh. who were great. Um, uh, Echo and the Bunnymen, who bailed out last year because Liverpool was in the Champions League, and they decided to just, just not – they just were like, fuck it, we're not coming. Right. Um, and they were great. They were really great. And Ian McCulloch, you know, of course, got more hammered as the show went on and started, you know, <laughs> just yelling at the band. And it was, it was classic. It was just great. Um, and then, uh, who did we see after that? Uh, and then we saw Billy Idol. And Billy Idol was great. Yeah. It was Steve Stevens. And it was so cool. Um, but then I, I, but I was bummed because I wanted
2: to see Susie and Iggy. Yeah. Uh, and you can uh, go back today as i understand to see i know but
3: who, i'm talking to you
2: <laughs> she's not on yet dude she's, she's not, not on till tonight not till late tonight
3: no my kid has you a show should... tonight Oh, my, man. yeah my kid has a show tonight so we got to go um i got to go see her at her show she's a kick-ass little actress and singer yeah. man yeah you know, she's uh she's she's hot on my heels i think i mean she's gonna have a better <laughs> career i do i think she's gonna have a better career than i have um so yeah so that was fun that was yesterday for me yeah you know? yeah but it's cool seeing those old bands you know um it you know it what was really impressive was modern english to me because i'm not really familiar with a lot of their catalog but um, right that, that after the snow album i know that album really well and they're all up there banging it out man like you know like these guys I'd never seen them live and I was like, damn, this is, these guys are road ready, like they're, these guys are good. Yeah. I was impressed, man. Yeah, it was cool. It was a good crowd, too. It was a nice day. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was just one of those great days.
2: Yeah, you know who else I saw recently that I just still, they're still just amazing was uh, Psychedelic Furs.
3: Oh, my God. Yeah, hell yeah. They're amazing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
1: I saw Winger two weeks ago, and they were (laughs) badass.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We did. That's right. You saw saw a whole bunch of great '80s metal. I did. Where did you see that? Where Uh, where was that? Baltimore, Maryland.
1: They had the M3 Rock Festival, and it was like '80s hair metal, and it was incredible. Oh, that's awesome! I got to see Quiet Riot, and it was just awesome. Speaking of Quiet Riot, we are having. Yeah, you there together. No, I went by myself uh, with okay. my fiance. Actually, uh, speaking of Quiet Riot, uh, we're actually having Rudy Sarzo on this podcast. a Little preview oh. for this, an upcoming episode. That's going to be yeah, awesome. He's a, bad,
3: he's a badass bass player, man. He's been. Uh, yeah, oh, when I was a, when I was a kid, I remember seeing his picture in all those bass player magazines, and yeah, man, you know, nah, I, I
2: like to call him the <laughs> Jaco Pastorius of metal.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, I think he's great. He did did this bass solo
2: during the
1: wild, the young, and the free. uh, And Mm. it was incredible. He went absolute ham. I sent Nick a video of it, and it was breathtaking. This this guy is still ripping on that bass. It's awesome. That's great, man.
3: That's so cool. I love hearing that. That's so cool.
1: I got a couple questions for you, John. Uh, yeah. Wind things down here. So do you have any personal rituals before you do a show audition?
2: Oh my God. Before an audition. Um. Yeah. Like, do you rub yourself down with steak sauce or anything like
3: that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, weird. I, I, I lather, I lather my, <laughs> I lather myself up in deep. <laughs> <laughs> and then I roll around in the dirt. Um, no, I, uh, <laughs> what do I do? Um, you know what it is? It's like, as soon as I get the sides, uh, what I try to do is I try to read the sides without like being the character in my head.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, I'm trying to like, look at the, the what, okay, what is the scene about? Who is, who are these people? Cause you know, like a lot of times with, when you get an audition, you but you don't really get any information about what the character is. Yeah. Like the information, the information I get now is, in the breakdown it's like 50s to 60s white caucasian asian black (laughs) it's all you know it's all these different things and then it says you know we'll do anything for his family (laughs) like okay you know it's like that kind of thing um so i try to like come up with as much as i can like get or i try to get from as much uh, from the page as much as i can and then i have to fill it in with you know the imagination and try to make something work um <laughs> but a lot of times it's hard because a lot of times i don't connect to the material at all mm-hmm. and right. and like it, that's when it's and you want to be a professional because you know your asian has spent time Your asian managers have spent time trying to get you you know this audition and of yeah. course
2: well, I'm sure that's yeah. like one of the more challenging things is trying. If you're not connecting with the character that you're playing, it makes it harder to actually lock into it. You know.
3: Well, there was this one audition I had. I won't I won't mention the show, but um, it is a pretty big show on uh, on um, you know one of the major major networks, and they wanted me the the part was a pedophile priest. Oh. Brutal, right? And there's like there's like exposure <laughs> happening, and there's like all these. And I remember when I when I got the audition, I was like, "Oh my god!" Right? And then the note the note that I got with it from <laughs> my, my agent was, <laughs> "You signed up for this."
0: <laughs> you know?
3: Jeez. Uh, just, go to work. <laughs> <you know? laughs> oh boy. So I had to go, I had to go down and audition. I went on, it was a big studio lot. I had to go down to the audition. I um, had to do, had to do the scene. Didn't have to disrobe or anything like that during the audition or, or anything, but it does happen in the scene, but it, they didn't make me do it in the audition. Um, but uh, thank God I didn't get the part. And the worst part about it, the worst part about it was I was sitting in the waiting room waiting to go on and I can literally, I felt like, I was on death row. Nobody <laughs> <was there. laughs> yeah. Nobody in that room wanted to be there. Nobody. Yeah, no. And then well, I'm sitting there and then a good buddy of mine walks in auditioning for the same part. And I was like, oh, God.
1: <laughs> it's not a part where you go. Hey, yeah, I was the pedophile priest in this and this show. You know what I mean? Right,
3: right. And, you know, those are roles that like I have it's a hard time.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it
3: is. And it's funny, you know, I um I recently are you guys familiar with the actor Peter Mullen? He's, yeah, he's, he's a Scottish actor. He's pretty well known. He okay. uh he's in like all the Harry Potter movies and he's in oh, okay. um uh what else? He, he he's uh he did a good horror movie, um what was it called? It was I think it was called Section Nine, I think, about a about a guy in a an insane asylum. Okay anyway but that you, um, you might know that one um but he's been in a lot of things i was talking to him and he was telling us that he had just done something down in new zealand where he had to play a pedophile and they had to do the simulated sex and they had to do all that and i was like wow you know he, i said how did the how do the parents or how did how, how do they do it with when they when there's a kid in the scene like how do they protect the kid from from all this he's like we do we'll, we do like a close-up and then a cut and the kid isn't yeah. even on set anymore yep yep and um i was like wow that's intense like those are roles that that i mean yeah they're incredibly like like meaty like you know roles to jump into but yeah it's like it's it's like putting on like a slime like Suit or something? Oh it's sure, like, you feel like
2: you need a shower every time. Yeah, you, go you just
3: yeah, you just don't want to. You just don't want to be that guy. So, you, you don't so, want to walk into. You don't want to go to rouse and be like, hey, here's the pedophile
2: from. You yeah, know, yada, yeah, yada. exactly. That's that's <laughs> that, and that's that's a genuine concern. Like, right? Know. I mean, like Ray fines had that problem when he did Schindler's List. Yeah,
3: everyone like, oh, there's, a, there's the Nazi from Schindler's List. You
2: yeah, know. and and to speak kind of on that, I don't think that I have anything. Well, I guess I do. Like. I have a script called Phobia, and I think you know a little bit about that one. And that that has I don't really, know, I don't know
3: much. really
2: heavy subject matter in it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's yeah. a very, very much a social commentary, as much as as it is a horror film. Um, but you know, it addresses racism and, and um homophobia and all kinds of stuff, and there's there's rape sequence in it that's really graphic, and
0: yeah,
2: it's it's like, you know, and, and one of the things I decided early on is In directing this and talking to the producer that i'm working with about it was if we do this i want to have therapists on set because it's not easy stuff to portray and sometimes you know and i i don't know what your methodology is but like there are some actors that that well they literally put that suit on and they don't necessarily take it off and sometimes they go home with that and they carry that weight
3: it's hard it's hard to shake it it's hard yeah. to like it can you know, be
2: really good for a performance but it can really fuck with your persona you know
3: yeah yeah absolutely you know it's it's uh because your brain you know your brain doesn't know the difference right you know what i mean your nervous system doesn't know the difference between what's fake and what's real if you've right. ever put a v if you ever put a vr set on your head that's the that, that's the first dead giveaway like your brain gets complete is completely oblivious to the fact that that you know it's not real it's it it, to it to your brain it's real yeah um so yeah like when when actors get you know really psychologically and like go deep into the character and stuff um you know i've done that uh and it's hard to shake it and like yeah i think it's a good idea to have people on set for that kind of thing absolutely um and i know like the new thing now especially you know uh you know, the, the, what are they called? They're called intimacy coordinators. Are yeah. Like a new thing in Hollywood that, um, stop fucking time. Yeah. They, they add something like that because a lot, you know, like I've done love scenes and it's like, it's really awkward. Like, oh, I'm, sure. What are, what are we doing? Like, you know, I mean, it, it can get, you
2: know, well, yeah, but I don't think awkward. I don't think a lot of people realize what, what goes into that. Like you yeah. you're showing up on set and you don't know this person, you're supposed to do a love scene with them and, and you might have had a table read or two with them or something, but like like to have to yeah. get into it the way that they get into it now. Right, is, yeah, is really awkward and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And and I, I'm sure for both parties, you know, um and it's a big yeah for an actor to have to jump into something like that
3: oh yeah man it's it's uh you know there's nothing like there's nothing sexy about it you know i don't care how attractive the two people are It's like you know it's it's funny
2: that you say that because i think i think the only way to really bring it into perspective for like an audience that just watches movies and they don't understand the movie making process or the or the television process or the filmmaking process it's like you you're you're in this situation with this other person you don't really know and yet you have like a hundred fucking people around you trying to shoot this light this Get right, control. and
3: if, if if you're lucky, the guy will say, "All right, we'll yeah. we'll keep it a closed set." Well, yeah, you know?
2: and then even at a closed set, you still have a certain mm-hmm. amount of people around you that are watching you do this. <laughs> Shoving a microphone. So, in my it's it's <laughs> so a works. really really uncomfortable situation to have to put yourself into. Yeah. So I, I it's interesting to me to get that out to to the general audience because most people that aren't filmmakers don't understand that.
3: Yeah, it's not it's not an easy thing, and no. you know and you always have to have women always have to have other women on on set yeah. for their protection so they can have you know an advocate i think that's really important it's absolutely um vital yeah yeah i mean it's making movies it's funny the amount of stuff that goes into it i think would blow people's mind sure. that aren't not familiar with the process you know i mean you know, I'm not saying we're curing cancer or anything like that, but I mean, like making good quality entertainment is fucking
2: hard, man. Yeah, it is. It's it's you actually know? nice to sit back and with your, you know, your coworkers and and your 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 movie family or your television family and look at what you've created together. Yeah, it's always yeah. a great feeling. But there's still, you know, there's still all of that that had to be done to get there. And uh, like one of the, like I said, one of the things that I get concerned about as a aspiring director is with that film in particular is that my actors feel safe yeah because it can be a, such an uncomfortable thing and and there is some really uncomfortable stuff that happens especially now
3: well i mean you got to they have to trust you you have to like you and trust is earned totally uh you know it's um it, it, the relationship between a director and an actor there's got to be a lot of trust for sure yes,
2: absolutely that's all the more reason why i demand uh, like to have all these people around like therapists and and people to talk to and people to feel make them feel safe in the situation um because like when you have to put yourself in that in that scenario like as uncomfortable as it is you have to make it believable yeah and whether it's a love scene or you know like like let's use phobia as an example there's a rape scene in it and it's it's you know, it's really uncomfortable, it's really yeah. awkward, yeah. it's really scary to, to a degree. Um, and you're trying to pull that, you're trying to pull that emotion out of out of the actor as a director, you're trying to pull that emotion out of them. And they're trying to give you everything they have. And that in itself, in that whether it's, you know, two takes or 20 takes that it takes to get it. It's, it can be grueling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be absolutely grueling. I have seen, I have seen. Especially talent. if there's a lot of physicality involved too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've seen you, talent you get walk tired. out of a yeah. scene. I've seen talent walk out of a scene in tears because they're just so affected by what they're trying to do. And they just, they, they need a minute, you know, and, Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's important man, it's
3: just, important. and you know, and they're giving it a hundred percent for you too, you know, so. You know, they deserve to have that time, you know, after they're done with a take or whatever to, to kind of just, you know, get themselves together and reset and do it again. Um, it's very hard to be like, OK, let's just go again right away. You know, like, oh, yeah. you know, that, no. that can be. <laughs> you, but that happens all the time. You know, Oh, like I know. It's, I know. I'm it 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 going no. down. We got to get it. You know, it's like, come on, let's go. That's um, that's
2: why like, you know. Uh, early on in my partnership with with the guys I'm making films with now, are, it, it's it was like critical for me to say if you're going to work with me, this is how it has to be, because my my actors, my crew, everybody has to feel safe. Everybody has to feel like they're taken care of. Yeah, and I don't want anybody to feel for a moment that they're not comfortable or safe.
3: Absolutely. You know, you were saying earlier that your film that you're working on now is uh you're touching on a lot of you know pretty hot topics at the moment um you know it's interesting to me when like with horror films in particular they they i love i love how certain horror films are holding up the mirror to what's going on in society much like you know like um uh, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre did like that to me when I, cause I recently watched that again, feels very much like, um, I mean, and I, I've, I've read this also, but it feels very anti Vietnam war. It feels like there's that element there. Um, right. I feel, I feel that angsty kind of like, you know, element in, in that film. And, and like, I think a lot of those films at that time were reflective of what was happening. What are you seeing in horror right now that, that, is starting to kind of pop its head up as a topic.
1: Can I answer this? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Sure. yeah. The war on culture. Culture yeah. wars. Yeah. The the clash that's going on right now in society is very prevalent in a lot of horror films. And I think that's also affecting the way that they are like being received at the box office because... Yeah the people who feel so firmly about this way won't go watch a film that they know feels a certain way. And I think it's very divisive within horror right now. And you, you see uh films suffering because of that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's it. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, and, and that's, that's where myself as a, as as uh, someone who was offered to direct this film, and I want to direct it. At first, I was very unsure of doing it. Only because is this the, is this the first film you, you've directed? Yeah, it would be. Or my You're first. going to direct it? it oh, would okay, be, cool. Yeah, it would be my right first. and It'll it may be my last. <laughs> you know why? But, yeah, why not? But <laughs> but I have to say, like whether it is my first or you know, whether it is my last or not. Like, that doesn't, like, it doesn't sway me at this point. It did at first. It doesn't sway me at this point from wanting to do it because I feel that it is a message in it that needs to be, like you said, it holds up a mirror. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something about that, that that is so much more disturbing. And that's what I wanted to get from it was I want the audience to leave very uncomfortable and understanding that this is still a problem. This is right. Not something we've solved. We've we've come hundreds of years away from these things, and we're still fucked up.
3: Yes. Yeah. So when you say walk away from it feeling uncomfortable, I'm, I'm trying to let, let me understand what that means. The last film that I walked out of where I felt really, really uncomfortable was the film Under the Skin. I don't know if you guys have seen that. That film. I've seen that film once. I don't ever need to see it again. Um, I, I could not shake some of the images from that film. Right. Uh, you know, and I'm a big David Lynch fan, so like uh, imagery doesn't really bother me that much. But that scene with the kid on the beach as the tide is coming
1: in, I thought, oh, my God, this is i couldn't yeah you know yeah.
2: i i've walked away from a film like that before seven was one of those
1: oh it's a 24 oh. movie okay i couldn't
2: i couldn't I, I i walked away from that film i'd never want to see it again a great movie I, yeah i great i know i never want to see it again
3: no yeah exactly the same and i'll tell you another funny story well it's not that funny but i feel the same way about rosemary's baby yeah mm um because when i after i I remember the first time i had ever seen that film was on tv and i was watching it it was like on a sunday afternoon i got a phone call and a friend died right after the film ended i was like oh (laughs) never (laughs) watching that movie again (laughs) it's
2: it's interesting though because like you have like i do have films that are fun and yeah Yeah. I i have stuff in the queue that's like really fun but that's a really like I decided early on like we we could have gone two ways with the script because it's a nod it's a nod to a 1970s film that was made cool um, and w- we kind of talked about it early on with my writers and it was like okay well we can either lean really hard into social issues that are addressed in this thing or we can go more of a campy comedic kind of direction with it and I said you know what Go social, totally. I, I said go 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 social because just because I think that that like first of all it differs from the other projects we're working on. Second of all, I think it's necessary, and and yeah. now more than ever it's necessary. Yeah. I you know it's not that I'm trying to win any awards with it. I'm not. I'm just trying. But there's to make-
3: also there's also an audience for it. I think. I mean, if you look at the uh, like films like Nope or you know uh get out like um yeah people people are down for that and it's good material too that's the other thing like that's like that's fertile ground like i think there's a lot of good material in that stuff sure
2: sure but i'm excited to share it but this isn't about me this is about you
3: (laughs) (laughs) we're having a conversation (laughs)
2: so let's uh let's let's kind of we got to probably start wrapping this up i think but uh okay what's what's like the best advice anyone's ever given you about acting
3: you know i just saw something recently that dennis hopper said Ooh. that i that i really kind of connected with and he said that a lot of actors you know when they're working they're not in it they're not they're just they're just not in it they're they're just thinking about their lines and you know where their mark is and you know are you know are is their face in the light you know they're never really fully in it and he said that um, like when if somebody gives you a, a like a watch in the scene and you take the watch and you hold it and you look at it you should know what time it says you know what I mean so it, I think what he means by that is paying attention to the details as much as you possibly can. And, you know, you're in it, you're in the scene, you're in the flow of it, you know? Um, You know, the other thing would be like, just try to get off book as quickly as you can and, and, um, and start working on the internal work because you're still fucking around with like the the dialogue, like learning the lines and stuff by the time you get to shooting. It's so much harder. It really is. Yeah. You sorry. know, and and then you look unprepared and and you know, you just, just you just gotta always be ready to go. And uh that's the way I look at it. And the other thing is, like for me, like I like don't quit. I, I mean I wouldn't get into this gig in the, you know, if it, it was, if I was gonna do this right now, I wouldn't do it. Because <laughs> I think I think it's too competitive and it doesn't pay like it used to. Right. Um but if you are gonna do it, you've gotta commit. People wanna see people committed a hundred percent to things and you can always tell when they're not, you can tell when somebody's phoning it in or just not really there. Yep. Um, so it's about being honest with the work really more than anything. I think that would be my advice. You yeah. know, that's awesome. I could be a smart ass and tell everyone to take fountain avenue. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: Well, thank you, John, uh, so much for sharing your stories with us today. We we're, yes, uh, man, thank you. Happy to have you. You
3: guys, you guys are the best. And, and, you know, anything I can ever do to help you guys, you know, get the word out about what you guys are doing, you know, let me know. Um, I'm excited to hear uh, what's going to be coming from you guys in the
2: future. Awesome.
1: Same here, man. Thank you for coming on today. It was a true pleasure to hear all of those stories. And thank you for the advice for all those listeners out there. If you are an actor or an actress going, for that, please listen to that advice. That is sound advice, and that is a good clip. Thank you for that. I'm going to put that shit on Instagram. But oh, thank awesome. you for listening to another episode of Hypodermic, the pod that sticks you deep. <laughs> I've been the pod boss, TJ Bowser. That's the maestro of mayhem, Nick Benson. That's John Teg. Is that how I say it? Teg. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yep, okay. Right. I said it right. Excellent. Taking you guys out. See you next week, hopefully. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks, everyone. All right, bye. <laughs>